Good morning. Merry Christmas to you. You know, it's two weeks from today. It's, time is flying. You mean right now, two weeks, well, two weeks from right now, you may be, you know, exchanging gifts. And so, uh, so we got plenty of time to get things done before then, right? Um, <clears throat> I, I want to talk to you a little bit before we jump into the message today about, uh, so Christmas is on Sunday. January 1st is on Sunday. It's one of those, you know, weird time every seven years or so it happens. Um, and so it, it messes the schedule with our normal gatherings. And so here's what we're going to do. Um, Christmas weekend, we're going to have three um, Christmas Eve gatherings. So one's going to be on Friday night, I think it's 6.30. And then the other two are going to be on Saturday afternoon. And then Sunday, Christmas, we're not going to have a gathering. But we're posting a link to, um, if you watched any of The Chosen, uh, let me just say that I am the first one to not watch Christian-produced shows because I don't like cheesy. And so many of them are cheesy. And I, I just, it just makes me ee. Um, but The Chosen isn't, man. The Chosen is so good. But... Um, when, before he did The Chosen, how he got, his, the first real big production he did was on um, Christmas in the Nativity. And so we're going to post a link to that. So if you want to watch that Sunday morning, Christmas morning, um, that could be a really cool uh, way. I think it's maybe a half an hour, maybe 20 minutes, not real long. Um, but that would be fun to have family and maybe relatives watch with you. And then um, the next Sunday is New Year's Day. Okay, and so we are having a gathering, but it's not going to be um, in person. We're, gonna, we're going to have it online only on New Year's Day. All right, and so um, those will be on our website. We'll send out a, a Rolling Hills um, newsletter this week um, updating that. But just so that you have that down, write that on your calendar. And, um, and then the next week we're going to start our new series, and it's going to be on the book of Genesis. So we are going to start the book of Genesis. It's going to run for seven years. And so, <clears throat> just saying, I mean, uh, we're, we're going to try to get through it in a year. And we'll have breaks uh, throughout it to do a short-term uh, series just to break up the flow a little bit. But, um, uh, man, Genesis is just packed full of stuff. It, you know, in life, any worldview that you own that you say, okay, this is how I see life, and this is my worldview. It answers basic questions like, uh, where did we come from? Is there a God? Is there life after this one? What's the biggest problem in the world? Do I have a purpose and meaning? Um, what, what is the, what's the hope that we have? What's the solution to the biggest problem? Those questions are all answered in worldviews, um, no matter which one you choose. And so as followers of Jesus, Genesis answers those questions. And so it, it, it kind of lays the, the groundwork for the rest of the Bible. And so um, I'm excited about going through that, and we're going to start that in January. Okay, now for today, um, we're going to talk, well, two, week, two, two weeks from today, we'll be exchanging gifts. That's a tradition we do, is, is gift exchanging. Um, some of us don't know where that came from. But it, it comes from connecting to the heart of God and the fact that he gave to us, and that's what we're celebrating on Christmas, is uh, the generosity of God, which prompts our generosity. Okay? Now, when people think of what a follower of Jesus is, or even Christians, when Christians, they say, okay, I started following Jesus because of this, and, um, but we have a tendency to drift toward a, a Christian is somebody who recognizes they're created by God, and God, say this is, God says, this is how I created you to flourish, and so here's all the rules that you need to follow in order to be a good Christian. So some of us kind of think that's what Christianity is, and people who don't, um, <clears throat> don't place their faith in God, uh, that's what they would tend to say. It's a bunch of people who follow certain rules that God gives them. And I want you to know, that's not Christianity. That's not the one I'm in. And that's not the one I'm following. Um, because that has a bunch of problems. And 
and really it has, you can approach it two different ways. If that's your bent, if, if your bent is Christianity is a, a living according to moral standards given to us by God. You can either go to the, the side of, um, you know what, uh, I, I'm just full of shame and guilt because I know there's a lot of moral standards that God has given to me that he expects me to live by and I'm pretty regularly failing. And so I, I, I just feel more of a guilt and more of a shame and I know that God's not happy with me. And, um, and so what we do is we go underground. We say, okay, I know what I'm supposed to be and I'm not, so I don't want anybody else to know. And so I basically lie about who I am. I don't let anybody know about my struggles uh, or my failures. And I go it alone and I, I am not experiencing peace. I'm experiencing anxiety and guilt and shame. And that is not God's heart for you. That, that, that is not what God wants for us. So if we have a moral perspective of what Christianity is, then that's one um, way we can go. The other way is to go, um, you know what, as I look around and see you know, the masses of humanity, I think I'm kind of nailing it, at least better than most of these people. And so, you know, I, most of the moral standards, I am, I'm following the big ones. It's just some of the stuff that God doesn't really care about. That's where I have problems. You know, and so I think as a result of living a life that I know is more pleasing to God than most, and he probably likes me more, and uh, is going to bless me more than these other people who aren't doing as well. And actually, that's what most people who don't follow Jesus think of Christians, they're just a bunch of arrogant people who think they're better than other people. And that is not what God's heart is and what God has for us. And so both, you know, looking at life through a moral lens um, is, is wrong. It's wrong. It's not following the heart of God. And it messes us up. And I want you to know, we tend to drift towards it, even if we were just overwhelmed by the grace and goodness of God and what he's done for us, and that's how we, we placed our faith in Jesus. Um, we can still drift towards moral do's and don'ts. And that's really a life of a follower of Jesus. And it's like, no, Jesus is, is in God throughout the Bible saying, um, this is all about you connecting to the grace of God, you, you connecting to me and my grace and my goodness. And the more that you realize my grace and goodness is and who I am, the more you're humbled by it, but you're also overwhelmed with what I've done for you. And, and it begins reorienting your life. Not because these are the things that you need to do and don't to please me, because I, you can't please me anymore. I, I love you perfectly already. I know you and I love you and have pursued you and have made a way for you to have a relationship with me. And when we allow that to start sinking into our souls, it begins to transform how we think, love, and live. Because we realize that, you know, because of God, I have been given an identity that so many of us are chasing in so many different ways. But God says, this is who I am, and this is who I am to him, and that identity is unshakable. It's unshakable. And so I'm less threatened about pleasing people. I mean, I want to serve people, but I, I'm not just being blown by the wind by what I think might please people and how they might like me, and I can feel better about myself. That's always been, already been decided, because I know I'm known and loved by God. He's made a way for me to be forgiven. Of while I was selfishness and I went, when I was the worst, um, worst form of myself, God was pursuing me with his love and he died for me. So that I could be forgiven and the righteousness of Jesus could be placed on me. So when God sees me, he sees me as forgiven and as spotless and blameless. And the things that I carry around and I beat myself up about things that I've done in the past and I still beat myself up about them, um, God's saying, hey, I'm not thinking about that. Why are you wasting your time thinking about that? You're forgiven. You're my child. And I'm, I'm not 
making you my child because I'm ignorant about you. I know you fully. I actually know you better than you know yourself. And I love you. And I'm offering you a relationship with me to enjoy. And I'm gifting you. I'm giving you gifts and abilities because I can do my work without you, but I'm gonna invite you into it. And you can see me work and impact all of eternity because I'm working through you. And I'm giving you a home and you will never, ever be alone. And I'm also giving you a motivation that's new to you that you can't just drum up at yourself by, by trying harder. But I'm giving you a mo motivation and I'm empowering you to live a life that's reflective of my heart. And so that's, that's the grace lens. And that is what being a Christian is. You, you cannot please God by trying harder. But God's saying, you know, don't worry about pleasing me. I love you. Just be with me. Be with me. And as we are, all of a sudden, man, our, our life is transformed. We change. Our perspective on life is, is transformed. How we think, love, and live is being transformed to be more and more like Jesus. Okay, so it's, it's not, you cannot do for Jesus without doing life with Jesus. Okay, so now today we're talking about a subject. By the way, and it, the New Testament, a lot of it is these letters that the apostles wrote um, or who knew closely, worked with an apostle, and they wrote them to churches. And a lot of them at the beginning say grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. And so we're talking about how do you have peace during Christmas? And um, it's always grace and peace. It's never peace and grace. Why? Because you need to have and understand and experience the grace of Jesus before you can experience the peace of Jesus. And so it's always grace and peace. And so in Christmas, I mean, understanding the significance of it is even in the busyness of life and the extra demands on us and in the schedules that ramp up, um, we can still have peace if we're connected to the significant, generous grace of God that we're celebrating during Christmas. So now the subject today is one in which you will never get right unless you're connected to the grace of God. Because separated from it, it becomes an overwhelming to-do that makes us angry. So here it is. Generosity. It's, it's about, I mean, generosity is about a generous life. But we're gonna focus in on what does that mean for us financially? What does it mean about money? And so there, I, sa I said the word that shall not be named, money, okay? Um, and so I just want you to know, right out of the gate, that inside, I understand that um, there are warning bells going off in you. You know, danger, danger. You know, you might, you might have just given the old spouse the elbow and said, hey, we can still escape, you know? Um, because there's just a lot, I mean, we, we've been all exposed to a lot of very manipulative, um, greedy TV preachers who um, are self-serving and, uh, and misrepresent God's view and perspective on generosity. And so as, um, I mean, you feel it, maybe even the heart rate's going up a little bit. Uh, I want you to know this, as, as we talk about this today, um, I'm not gonna ask you for money, okay? I'm, I'm not going to, you know, and I, I didn't realize when I put this together that we we're gonna have two offerings today. <laughs> and so you're going, yeah, town. Yeah, right. You know, yeah, and one of them is a love offering for the staff, which is you, <laughs> you know? And uh, so I just want you to know, if, uh, I, I, I don't care if you give um, another penny or any pennies to that. Or we're gonna have an offering later on, just our normal offering. And um, I want you to engage with God on this subject of generosity. 
And that is the only thing I'm asking of you today. Okay, so I'm asking you to engage with God. And if you do that, man, I so trust the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, and, if, we, and if we engage with him and say, okay, talk to me about what you're saying, God, then um, that, that, that's a win. And so, um, you know, I, I, I hope and pray you're not thinking, oh, here we go. This guy's gonna try and manipulate us because uh, he is just a money-loving, greedy pastor. And um, that's not where I'm coming from, all right? And so engage with God as we go through this. Um, here, here's a couple things. Um, 500 verses in the Bible on the subject of prayer, 500. So I think, think wow, that's a lot of verses. And so that must be, you know, that must be important. About 500 on faith. There's 2,000 on money. 2,000 verses in the Bible on money. Um, in the New Testament, one out of every 10 verses is on money. 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus talked um, talks about money. 25% of Jesus' teachings talk about money. So I was thinking, you know, I was kind of evaluating our series over the, you know, and looking at Genesis next year and, and thinking, okay, well, 25% of the time, if I want to be like Jesus, you know, I, I got to do one out of four on money. That's what I'm thinking. But then I thought, well, I don't want to be here alone, so I'm not going to do that. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, I, I look at that and I just go, what? yikes. God, why are you talking so much about this? What, what's, I mean, it's, it feels disproportionate. And so what, what's going on? And, and, and then you look at things um, like never before in the history of our country have, have people been less generous than right now. Um, the average person in the United States um, gives or leverages 2.4% of their income towards generosity. 2.4%. Now here's the kicker. It doesn't matter if you claim to be a follower of Jesus or not, there's no significance difference. And so I'm thinking, we, we, there's, there's a heart problem we have as followers of Jesus um, when it comes to money. And maybe that's why he talked about it so much. Because you know, ultimately God doesn't want your money, he wants you. And I think sometimes what stands between us and giving ourselves surrendering ourselves to God is uh, I'm surrendering all, but there's some things that I need to control. And there's some things that I need to keep my hands on. And so I think that's why we t um, Jesus talks about it so much. And so um, we're gonna go through this and, um, and, and I want you to remember, I'm not going to at the end say, okay, now um, how much are you gonna give? or we'd like to do this, or would you give to it? Um, I'm not, that's not in here. My, my prayer is just that we engage with the heart of God and we just talk to him about it. So here we go. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter nine, verse six to eight. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And so here we go, God is getting um, to one of the sources of our heart issue with being generous. And he's saying we have a scarcity mentality. And, and that is, um, if, I, if I only have one bag of seeds, then, and this is all I have, well maybe I should just go out and plant a handful of it. Because I don't want to lose it. Well. With a scarcity mentality, God's saying, you know, your harvest is, is not going to be good if you're only planting a few seeds. And that's how you think of money, is you think, okay, I got this buck, and if I give this buck away to somebody else or some organization or some, you know, ministry, I will never see that buck again. And God's saying, that's a scarcity mentality. That's not how I operate. It's, it's, there is not a limit to my wealth. And so you give a buck away and you sow that into the kingdom of God 
don't you think I have resources? You know, because ultimately I'm the giver of good gifts. I'm the provider of your income. You know, ultimately I can give you jobs. I can take them away. Um, your employee is not the source of your income. The God of the universe, who is sovereign, is. And so recognize me as that. As that. And get rid of your scarcity mentality and start looking at it differently. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. And so <coughs> we'll talk about that a little bit more. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. What's that? that that's a moral lens, isn't it? You know, in order to be good, in order to be, you know, make God happy, then I have to do this. And therefore, I am feeling compelled to do this out of duty for God instead of having a heart that is cheerful and is moved by the graciousness of God to give. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound in you. So there it is. It's connected our generosity is connected to the grace of God. And God says, my grace can do things in you and through you that you can never do by just trying harder. Man, allow me to be your power and your motivation, your perspective. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He's saying, you're connected to my grace, then you're gonna have a desire and I'm going to empower you with my grace in order to do every good work. All right, so here's the first idea. P peace that leads to radical generosity comes from experiencing God's grace and goodness. We aren't generous because we're trying to get God to love us. I can never be radically generous by trying harder, but I can be radically generous when I'm connected to the, the heart of God. And when I'm connected to his heart, he makes it very clear to me how stunning his love is. I mean... Overwhelming. Now, Jesus gives his most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And in it, it's a hard-hitting sermon. It's a sermon that he says, okay, you've heard it said. So he's referring to the law of the Old Testament. And then he says, but if you're really connected to the heart of God and you're surrendered to, to living in God's kingdom, then this is what a follower of me looks like. This is what a follower of God looks like. And so he says, um, you've heard it says uh, that you should not kill. That's a law, right? That's in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. Um, but I'm telling you, you should forgive your enemies. Whoa. So did that just, the, does the grace of God and the grace of Jesus in the New Testament cause the bar to be lowered? or the bar to rise. And so is it more of a burden? No, not if you understand the grace of God. And so in this message, he, he's, he's saying some hard things, but his point is, um, you can't do this by trying harder. You're already overwhelmed with the law of God in the, in the Old Testament, and now I'm raising it for you. But you know what enables you to do that is being connected with the heart of God. And then all of a sudden, he starts doing and starts transforming you to do things you'd never do by just trying harder. Because you wouldn't want to do them. And you'd feel guilty for not doing them. But the grace of God is like, wow, God is good. You know what? I can trust him. I don't want to do this, but man, God is good. You know, I can trust him. I want to do that. I mean, God is a good God. He's been good to me. I can trust him. And so I want to follow. So that's the whole idea that he's expressing in the Sermon on the Mount. So now he talks about treasures. He says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And so he's, he's addressing a couple things. One of them is he's, he's saying, uh, you are not in control as you think you are. Because a lot of times our hope for our finances is so that it provides um, a lifestyle that I will enjoy, that will be meaningful to me, that will give me uh, 
joy and happiness and contentment and um, security. And he's saying, ultimately, when you're doing that, and that is your joy and your contentment and your happiness and security, uh, it, it's really at risk because you're not in control of all of it. Because as you get stuff and you own stuff and you collect stuff, um, it could rust, it could break. It, it could fall prey to a disaster. It could be stolen. And so you see what shaky ground is when we put our hope in those things. And so he says, don't, don't put your hope in there. Don't, don't lay your hope in the things of, that, that, that can be taken from you. But instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moss nor, nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So um, he's also getting at the fact that we're not in control of everything, so we're gonna worry about more things. If, if our hope, um, insecurity, and uh, contentment lies in money, in accumulating it, then uh, we're gonna live very anxious lives because it may go away. I mean, if your nest egg is in the market, man, right now you're going, ooh. This, you know, if you don't have a bunch of money in the market, you're probably not paying attention much to it. But if you do a lot of money, and, I'm not, and I think we should invest, um, if that's your hope, it's, it's sketchy. And so he's saying, don't put your hope in something that's sketchy. Put your hope and trust in me. Now, when, I, um, when Kathy and I uh, had our three girls, our young family, our family car was the, a Chevy Citation. And if you don't know, yeah, thanks, Alta. You laughed at my car. If you don't know what a Chevy Citation is, it, it's a really cool muscle car back in, no. Um, it is not a, you know, a necessarily attractive car. Um, it was not a great car. Um, but it was our car. And uh, to, to give you how, I mean, my children, who were like in kindergarten and elementary school, did not want us to drop them off in front of school in that car. They would like, hey, before we, like a block away, could you drop us off? Because they didn't want, you know, another first grader to see him get out of the car, because how humiliating would that be? But, you know, so that, that was our car. And it ran most of the time. And, but what you had to do to start it is you had to pop the hood, and you had to put a screwdriver in the carburetor to keep it open, so when you turned it over, um, it would start. But at first, when you first turned it over, a fireball would come out of the carburetor, and then it would start. And it was, I just thought that was kind of cool. You know, it was like <laughs> pyrotechnics every time we start the car, kid. Um, but uh, they didn't like that. So, but then you had to remember to get the you know, screwdriver out and close the, and then hope it made it to where you're going. Now, here's one thought I never had when we had that car. You know, that, that parking place looks kind of tight. And if I go in there, they might ding me. Never had that thought. It's like, I can fit, boom, I'm in. You know, I never thought, hey, I'm gonna park you know, on the last parking place way out there because I'm, sur I'm, I'm you know, somebody may scratch it or ding it. It's like, I, I didn't worry about that. I didn't, I didn't worry about, you know, are all the power things gonna start falling apart? You know, the power windows, the power locks. Um, it didn't have any of those things. You know, for some of you, you can remember, there was a time where you went like this to get the window down, and like this, and that didn't work all the time. But um, I never worried about my Bluetooth connecting, you know, my cell phone to the, to the system. I mean, I didn't worry about that stuff. Because I knew this thing is very temporary and it's not gonna last me for, and, and I would be a fool to put my hope in it, okay? That's, that's kind of a picture of what God, what Jesus is saying here. He's just saying, you know, your, your stuff is temporary. Now, later on, I bought a brand new Tundra, okay? Brand new. I parked it behind the church because I was embarrassed for you to see that I had a new car. I, start, I was worried. I, I worried that, you know, I started parking, you know, across the street from grocery stores. I don't want anybody to scratch it, anybody to dent it. 
and I, I started worrying about something. And this is a point that God's saying. He, he's saying, you know what? If, we, if our hope is, man, I, I would be content in life if I had a tundra. Um, I'm messed up in my thinking. And now hear this. God's not saying you can't have a nice car. All right, but he's saying, man, you need to have perspective. What helps give you perspective? Put your hope in heaven. Put your hope in eternal things and start investing that way. So that, that's store up for yourself things in heaven. How do you do that? Well, from Genesis chapter four, there's a theme throughout the Bible about you know how you connect your heart to eternal things is you recognize the goodness of God in your life and that he's the provider and that he is the giver of all good gifts. And, and one of the ways to regularly connect yourself to that thought is to be generous. And so in Genesis chapter four, Cain and Abel, they were to give their first and their best to God. Why, because God needed their money? No, as an act of worship. It was the first act of worship. It's like, God, we recognize you're a good God. You provide for us. And so to, to, to stay connected to that, um, we give this offering to you. And they messed up with it, it led to bad things. But that, that's Genesis four, okay? Genesis 14, uh, Abraham gives 10% of everything he has. And then in, in Exodus, in, in Numbers, you know, the, the, in Leviticus, the, uh, the covenant relationship of God and his people is established and there's this thing called the tithe, where he says, you give me your first 10% as a recognition that I am your provider of all good things and, and you worship me. And so then we go to the New Testament and it's like, okay, is this still a deal? You know, is this, is now it's under the grace of, of Jesus and his death and, and where, how's the laws work out? And, and um, um, in Matthew 23, 23, this is Jesus speaking to, to Pharisees who are, have a moral lens on their relationship with God. So they have a messed up lens. And so this is what Jesus says to him in 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And so he's saying, hey, the law, you know, tithe, you, you should be doing that. But... You're doing that and something more significant that you should be doing that you've totally neglected and that is you have lost the heart of God. You, you have become disconnected to the heart of God and now you're living a moral life, a religious life that is disconnected from the grace of God and you're just jumping through hoops to make yourself, good, make yourself feel good about how God looks at you. When the truth is, God's disappointed because you're disconnected from his heart. And so get, to, get connected to his heart. And then the things that you're doing will become more meaningful. And so he's saying, well, you should be doing both. But being disconnected from the heart of God doesn't matter what you do. You're a hypocrite because you've lost his heart. So, stay, so God kind of affirms the tithe by saying, hey, keep doing it. But what's more important as be connected to his heart, and then that will make sense. But then as you go on in the New Testament, it stops talking about the tithe. And so I have people tell me, hey, New Testament doesn't really talk much about the tithe, so I'm not under the tithe. And so like, what is the minimum I can give? And it's like, well, I think we're missing the point here. Because when you go, you know, like the, the church starts in Acts chapter two, and um, the tithe's not mentioned but they start selling everything, they start selling their land. They start selling the things that they have in order to, to give to the leaders of the church to provide for the people around them. And so it, that's not tied, that, that's radical generosity. And so they weren't required to do that, but they're, they're going, they're doing something different than that. And then, I mean, if you look at the, at the sermon of Jesus in Acts chapter, or in, in Matthew, and you say, 
what impact does the grace of God have on our life? Well, law says don't murder. Murder. Grace says love your enemy. Bar raised. Law says don't commit adultery. Grace says don't even lust in your heart. Raised. Law says don't steal. Grace says, you know, if somebody takes your coat and steals from you, you know, and, and they don't have one, then give them your shirt too. Law says, tithe. Grace says, you know what? Let Jesus be the guide on what a generous life looks like. And so the church starts becoming radically generous. Why? Because they're connected to the generosity of Jesus. What does that do to their life? It says, hey, you know, that tithe, that's kind of like the low bar. I, I, I want to I be like, I, I'm enjoying the blessings of God in my life. And I want to be more like him. And so the radical generosity comes, comes from that. Um, peace that leads to radical generosity comes when we create financial margin so we can be radically generous. You know, the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. It's, it's, again, people are talking to Jesus, questioning about, okay, if you, had, if you had to boil the law down, the entire Hebrew Bible, down to one thought, you know, what would be the most important thing that we can take out of the Hebrew Bible to live by. And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, it can't, there actually, there's two parts to one law. He's saying, because if you love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you will love your neighbor as yourself because the love of God will transform you. And, then, and so then they're like, okay, how can I... Uh, understand exactly what you're saying, God, because heart things weren't clear. Um, and so they said, well, what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? And so then he gives a story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan, we talked about it before, but real briefly, there's a Jewish man who was mugged, beaten, and, and robbed. And a couple people walked by who were also Jews that had the capacity to help him and didn't. And then a Samaritan walks by who had the capacity to help him, and he did. And he gives him first aid and he provides for him and he gives him transportation um, to a place where he can put him up and he pays for the bill for his lodging and he pays for more medical care and, um, and provision, food and so forth. And he says, I'm, anything it costs, I will pay for that. And so Jesus says, you're connected to my heart. This is what love looks like and it is generosity. And see, some of us have the capacity to be generous but it's generosity with a desire to be generous. Because he stopped and helped the person because he wanted to help. He had the capacity, but the other two people that walked by had the capacity. And so he's saying, hey, if your heart's connected to God, ultimately, you're gonna wanna be generous. Wow. That, that's, that's different. That's not God needs my money give, but it's like God wants you. I mean, he, he's, he's never going to run out of resources. And so, you know, resource acquisition is not his motivation. Growing up, growing you up into the person he wants you to be and enjoying him, that's his motivation. And he says, man, you know, if, if we have hearts that are more and more connected to God and more and more understand his generosity, his goodness, then we more and more will want to be generous with our lives. So do you have the capacity and desire to be radically generous? And do you make decisions based on that? See, because our, our, our desires move us to make decisions that we want to happen. And I think what Jesus is saying is, you know what, you, you connected to my heart, you'll be motivated to be more like me. And so you'll make decisions accordingly. A second 
Corinthians 8, 1 and 2. Here's a picture of radical generosity in followers of Jesus in the early church. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So they are connected to the grace of God in their life. And so what's happening? Verse two, for in severe test of affliction, they they were being persecuted, okay? They, They were being chased, persecuted, imprisoned because of their faith. So they're connected to the grace of God. They're experiencing really difficult circumstances and affliction. And then it says, their abundance of joy. What? Their abundance of joy. Where's that coming from? Connecting to the heart and the grace of God. Their abundance of joy have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. Wow. I mean, that's not normal. See, the whole thing of the Sermon on the Mount is... um, You can't live this life by trying harder. But God does stuff in your life when you're connected to his heart and you're living in relationship with him. And here's a case in point. Afflicted, persecuted, poverty, but the grace of God leads them to radical generosity. You see, um, in my life, Uh, one of the biggest lies I can believe is that if I want to be radically generous, then God needs to give me a lot more money. You know, I, I can't afford to be radically generous. For in severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. You see, when we're connected to the heart of God, it changes our motivation for living. It changes how we see ourselves and see other people. And that we are moved to make decisions in our life that gives us some margin so we can be radically generous no matter how much we make. So so here's some, some practical but extreme can be extreme questions in the world we live in, but are they right in line with the Sermon on the Mount? So if financial decisions have kept you from being generous, then is it possible that you've made the wrong financial decisions? If your house and car payment prevent you from being generous, is it possible that you've paid too much for your house and car? If your coffee drinking habits, I know, I know. It's like, hey, Bill, shut up. Okay, now you're going too far. Don't mess with my coffee. Coffee is a gift from God. It's a blessing in my life. All good things comes from him. Coffee is from him. Okay, okay. So let's skip coffee. Here's an idea. Do you have habits in your life that are costing you maybe more money than you think? And so do those habits keep you from being generous? Maybe we need new habits. See, the idea is when we're we're overwhelmed and stunned by the grace of God in our life and see his goodness, and and we are seeing the goodness of God, uh, man, we, we are moved to be like him. And we start thinking, okay, what does that mean? I need to make I need to make decisions that will be more and more reflective of his heart. Okay, hear this. God is not saying it is a sin to have a nice house and nice car. Because you know, he actually says, you know what a sin is? A sin is for him to bless you and give you good gifts and for you to not recognize his goodness and enjoy those things. He says, that's a sin. He's saying, enjoy his blessings and be generous. Enjoy his blessings and be generous. And a lot of times we make decisions that we're thinking we're enjoying his blessings, but we're putting our hope in those things. And then we're saying those decisions has now restricted us from being generous. 
And God says, think differently. Enjoy my goodness and be generous and make decisions accordingly. Um, Christmas Carol. Scrooge. Great story. I'm going I'm to, I just want you to know right now, there's spoil alert. And so if you have not seen or read the Christmas Carol in the last 179 years, I'm going to spoil it for you, okay? Um, Scrooge, grumpy old man, wealthy, wealthy and grumpy. Um, had, did, didn't have a bent towards thinking about how he can be generous. And so the only way that he was ever going to be generous is if people came to him and asked for help. And so that left him in a place of, okay, well, I'm not planning to be generous. And um, this money is mine, it's not yours. I earned it, you didn't. And I'm not satisfied with how much I have. So I need more. And so if you're coming and you made a good case to me about how I should be generous to this thing, I might, I might toss you a dime. So his generosity was spontaneous and unplanned. Well, I guess that's what spontaneous means. Then, then Scrooge has a life-changing event. And you know the story is he experiences grace in his life. And it wrecks him in a great way. And then you know what happens to Scrooge? He starts planning and scheming about how he can be more generous. And he's, all of a sudden his generosity is lavish and he's pouring it out on others and he's thinking of new ways he can be generous. That story is all about a heart that's experienced grace. And that story is all about what a Jesus follower should look like, who's experienced grace like no other grace and goodness. And it should transform our lives into not only enjoying the goodness and grace of God, but planning and scheming about how I can be radically generous to others. And so do you want to be generous? And the answer to that could reveal, I, I need to press into God. I, I need to reflect regularly on the goodness of God in my life and ask him just to start transforming my heart. And if you have no problem with that, then uh, how are you gonna plan to be generous? What does that look like? For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son so that whoever place their trust in him would have life and have it forever. That, that's, that's why we celebrate Christmas is because God gave his son who left the, the glory of heaven where he was worshiped 24 seven and he came down into a manger taking on human flesh and live a life um, in, an, in an impoverished family and then came out and declared his intent. He came not to punish the world, but to save the world. And then he sacrificially gave his life on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven and united into a relationship with him. That's the goodness of God that should never get old. And it will get bigger and bigger and bigger in your understanding as you press in to the God who loves you and cares for you and is good to you. And you will know you can trust him more and more, even with some of the hardest things in life to trust him with. Let's, let's bow our heads and close our, close our eyes. And I just wanna ask, there may be somebody here in the midst of a message on generosity who is connecting to the generosity of God. And you're thinking, you know what, my perspective of um, trying to be right with God was doing the rules, doing the do's and don'ts. And I'm recognizing today that it's, it's not about what I can do to find God, it's about 
on what he has done to pursue me and to offer me forgiveness in a relationship with him. And if that is where um, you find yourself this morning, then I invite you just to talk to God. And you can say something like this, God, I I know that uh, you love me and my ability to have a relationship with you is not based upon what I do, but it's based upon what you've done for me. And so today, um, I, I place my hope and my trust in what you've done. And Jesus um, coming to earth and giving his life as a sacrifice so that I could be forgiven. Um, I ask to be forgiven. And Father, I, I pray now that I would understand more and more what it is to be loved and known by you. And help me to grow up to be the person that you originally created me to be. And I understand that that only happens as a result of being in a relationship with you. So thank you for that, Father. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you prayed with me this morning, um, I have just one quick favor to ask of you. And that is as soon as we're done, if you can go out those doors, immediately to your left, there's a, uh, a desk there. And just let them know, hey, I prayed along with Bill today. And um, they will give you some information that just gives you some verses that um, clarify and to um, reinforce the decision you just made. And then it also, uh, how do you walk with God now in this relationship where you can know him more and know of who he says he is? And so we just have some basic, very practical ideas for you on how to begin growing and and continue growing in your relationship with God. So go there, it'll just take a second, get that information, and if you're watching online, thanks for doing that. And if you made that decision, um, go online to rollinghills.org slash next steps. And uh, in that, um, just write your information there, let them know that you made the decision to uh, follow Jesus, and we will get that same information to you. So thanks for doing that. Um, okay, right now we're going to have an offering. And, uh, man, I'm telling you with all my heart, if, if this is messing you up regarding uh, receiving the truth of God in your life about generosity, man, don't give. Um, figure this out. Spend time with God. Because I do with all my heart believe. I, I trust the Holy Spirit in your life. And so engage with God. And I, I do not want an offering right now to, uh, to mess with that. But some of you have engaged with God. And this is an opportunity uh, for you with a joyful heart to give back to him. So thank you for that. If you're new here and this is all, it's like, aha, so I knew it, church, money. This is all, man, uh, you need to know I have uh, no expectation or desire for you to have to give. And so just take that off your plate. I'm, I'm glad that you're here and, and you're on a spiritual journey and uh, you came here to join us in uh, discovering that. And so um, for those of you who are part of the family of Rolling Hills who give and, uh, and generosity is part of your life as a result of the grace of God, then thanks for doing that. And uh, we're going to continue to worship as this plate passed. <laughs>